The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-8192. That's 800-600-8192. 800-600-8192. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's always great to be with you. Thank you for coming back if you've been listening before. And if you're new, I hope you hear a voice here of freedom, of patriotism, of ownership. A Muslim who takes ownership and responsibility for fixing the cancer, fixing the house of Islam that we Muslims must own, must lead, and be willing to realize and expose the cancer from within. That cancer, as all of you who have listened to me before know, is political Islam, Islamism, the mixture of state identity and Sharia law or Islamic law or Islamic identity, Islamism. That's where Islam is in its time in history. Well, where are we in our time in history? This is the end of Ramadan, a time in which I first wish my Muslim friends, my Muslim colleagues, a blessed Eid Mubarak, Eid al-Futr, the holiday of the feast, marking the first day of the 10th month of the calendar of Islam, the lunar calendar. We just finished the ninth month of Ramadan, and many of us fasted from dawn to sunset. We use it as a time of reflection, a time of atonement, a time of renewing our values, renewing our faith in humanity, and most importantly, our faith in God. It has been for Unfortunately, for especially for non-Muslims, a, a tough month of, again, jihad, terror. It's being called a hashtag summer of terror. We're going to get into the latest uh, with the tables being turned and a racial supremacist who attacked the Finsbury Mosque in London. But before we get there, I don't want to start this week's episode talking about Muslims being victims. I, I think it's not only unbecoming right now, but it is not what my Ramadan was about. And I hope any of you Muslims who are listening, it's not what your Ramadan was about. I hope for you it was a time that now we can come into this renewed sense of spiritual solace that we will rededicate our families, rededicate our purpose, our organizations, our nonprofits, our faith in our country, our duty to protect our nation, duty to protect our world from the radical ra- savagery of militant Islamism, that we will work together to unite against political Islam, but also for liberty and for freedom. It is long overdue. Our Muslim reform movement is growing, and many of you have heard about the purposes, the declaration that our reform movement signed, that we seek to come together as reformers who believe in the ideas of liberty and freedom, that we... um, do not stand against anyone who wants to believe in the ideas of liberty, and we stand against all who want to impose any form of Islam, no matter how apparently moderate, upon the free world or upon anyone who 
wants to be free. So to all of my Muslim colleagues, as you celebrate tomorrow on Sunday, the Eid al-Futr, enjoy. I hope you found peace in this month. I hope you renewed the reality of the one of the faiths that I believe is one of the great faiths of the descendants of the Prophet Abraham, Moses, and Jesus in the Abrahamic traditions of the belief in God, the Almighty. But I hope now, as we reflect in that solitary world that is our own, that we've come to renew our energies of self, because you cannot repair the world, you cannot take care of others unless you've taken care of yourself. But now we've done that. In the next 11 months, we need, and as we did in the last month during the day, we worked hard. We took care of those around us. We renewed our faith in humanity and in God. But I hope in the next months, Muslims awaken to how absent, how missing in action we've been from countering any of the ideas, from moving to create movements that can counter the ideas that are radicalizing Muslims in the West and across the world. And that we realize that as much as there may only be a few million Muslims here in America, that the duty to protect, the duty to act and reform, the R word, reform, is our duty and our duty alone. That any any deference or deflection of that duty is not only a lost opportunity, but a failure, a failure of utilizing the gifts that God gave us. And I don't believe, and I hope as we end Ramadan, Muslims realize that we have a unique obligation living in the lap of freedom here in the West, whether it be in Britain, France, Canada, United States, Australia, wherever you may live. We have an obligation. We might be small in number, but the platforms, the message, the freedom we have to grab a microphone like I do every week here on this podcast, to grab a microphone and share any ideas that I wish with all of you is one of the greatest blessings that I have in this world. And then to use those ideas to spark the thought of creativity, of curiosity in any Muslim or non-Muslim that might be listening to then question your authorities, to question those who are trying to control your life, be it the imams, the Islamist organizations, or your own family. Be yourself, be independent. Develop your own identity because the American dream, I believe that my message that I've learned about again and renewed this Ramadan is that the American dream is not only about our country, about every individual having a chance to be economically successful and educationally successful, but The American dream is that you have an environment, a laboratory to do whatever it is you feel your calling is. It might not be successful at the end, but simply to attempt to have that freedom to attempt to be present in your own life. That, that is what would defeat Islamism. And in this Ramadan, we need to renew our efforts at the end as it finishes and as we celebrate our holiday tomorrow, we need to renew our efforts to give that dream to every human being on the planet, Muslim or non-Muslim, the minorities like the Copts in Egypt, the Baha'is of Egypt and Iran, and Israel and Syria, and every country beset with forces of radical Islamism that are doing What they believe is God's work, but we should express and make clear is the devil's work. That any attempt to take away the freedom of expression under the name of Islam, the freedom of thought, 
the freedom of creativity, the freedom to build one's own interpretation of Islam. Chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 9, any of the verses that we spent this past month reading should be free for every Muslim to interpret on their own. That's what our Muslim reform movement believes, and I could not have oxygen to breathe in my faith if I did not believe that God gave me a brain in which to interpret the passages in the Quran in my own way. Yes, I need to have academia, I need to read, I need to be academic about it, intellectually sound, but then believe in the defenses of those interpretations. And that the only thing that unites us as Muslims is the Arabic script of the Quran that we believe is God's revealed word to the Kama that he gave to his messenger Muhammad. But then the interpretation, the legalisms that would come about it, what is and what is not hadith or sayings of the prophet and his stories or his sirah is rife with acceptance, rejection, interpretation, and that's what Islam is. So on this Eid, on this holiday, renew yourselves to be yourselves. Renew yourselves to be yourselves to reject theocracy, to reject oppression and control of your lives in the name of your personal identity. That, whether you're Muslim or not, is a message that is so American. And until we can figure out how to bottle that, transmit it across Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, in every medium we have, we will never win the war against Islamism because they are brainwashing Muslims into believing that jihad, that militancy, that their satanic interpretations of their Quran, of their hadith, gives their followers life meaning, that their selves should be dismissed in light of a global jihad. So, may the sermons across the planet tomorrow be about joy, be about unity, and be about defending freedom against theocracy. And listen, I know they won't be. For the most part, I know they're going to be victimization, standing against Islamophobia and every other grievance that they're going to find. And I will tell you that as heinous and barbaric was the attack by Mr. Osborne into the mosque in which he targeted those Muslims that he knew were coming out of Tarawih that night. He had to have known for him to know that they were going to be coming out after midnight, that this was a Ramadan-type event, because next week there will not be Muslims coming out of their mosques late in the evening. So they were targeted because they were Muslim. Well, one of the reasons I do this work has nothing to do with Islam. God's faith is between individual and them, and, and, and God and their own faith, and whether it gets reformed or not is really... Not why I do this, but two things. One is the fate of the free world and the message of freedom hangs in the balance and defeat from collectivism, and Islamism is one of those collectivisms. So, so because I love freedom, I love Americanism, and I love this country, I want my legacy to be about preserving that. Second, if Muslims don't get our act together, there is going to be responses that will be frightening. Human nature is to protect itself despite the rule of law and other things, and human nature may end up responding to Muslims in a most basal, heinous kind of way. And we need to act before that starts happening. Both are wrong. Competing opposite terrorisms, if you will, don't make the other right. But unless we figure out what our response is, this is one of the things we need to express as not only being evil, but saying that we are the lead agents of reform and we will do so. So help us help ourselves. Do not attack us. Work with reformers. Don't look past us. This is Zudi Jasner. We'll be right back on Reform This. <laughs> You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network.
The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another segment this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's always great to be with you. You know, we were talking last segment about the, the beauty of the holiday of the end of Ramadan. Now I want to dive into what has really been on the mind of every American and every Brit and person in the free world as they see this summer of terror and now what ISIS wanted is happening. What ISIS wanted to achieve is beginning to unravel. There's no doubt that as we woke up last Sunday last Monday, rather, late into the night on Sunday night. We heard about a van that uh, drove its way through the sidewalk and targeted Muslims coming out of the Finsbury Mosque. There were conjecture at the time, was it another radical Islamist trying to attack moderate Muslims because that mosque, which had been pretty radical after 9-11, was shut down, was raided because... It had imams as part of Muhajirun and some of the most militant groups in Britain were being fomented in that mosque. And then supposedly the, the leadership was taken over, a board was renewed, and it had some programs that were clearly moderate. And, you know, in the wake of last week's attack, the last thing I think is appropriate is to try to begin to muddle through whether that truly was a moderate mosque or not. Bottom line is, is they were nonviolent. They did not support ISIS. And they had begun programs with their community. We'll get into later and maybe in other mosques, not in this one, because many of the worshippers at that mosque paid the ultimate price for defending their land, their homeland of Britain. When Mr. Osborne decided to drive through and commit an act which by now all apparent looks appears to be an eye for an eye, part of Hammurabi's law, one of the most medieval, primitive legal systems, which said that you commit Act A upon Person B. Person B then has an a, a right to commit Act A upon Person A. That's not human. God gave us our brain to look at reason to develop rules of law in our religious text to understand moral gumption and moral clarity and humility before God and before each other that we may be that we may live by the rule of law and not by the rule of Darwin and evolution and the survival of the fittest or the retribution of an eye for an eye but what does ISIS want? And I think this is the other thing that I wanted to make clear on my, t my conversation with you today is Islamism is about separating people out of society, separating Muslims so that the constituency of Islamists, whether you believe in the Islamic State as a political national identity construct, whether you believe in it or not, if the Islamists can separate you out of society, then they've won. Whether that large clot of Muslim humanity all believes in Sharia, all they need is a tipping point. And scientific researchers have found that 10% is that tipping point. Once you get 10% of any collective mobilized and and vehemently believing in an activist way for something. We saw this in the Arab Awakening. As five, seven, eight 
9% of the population began to march in the streets. It began to become unstable. You cross the 10% barrier. You start to get to 12, 14, 15% marching in the streets. And the government's changed. Society changed, and they got whiplash. The economics change, and 10% has been shown often to be that spark. Terrorism is about using chaos, using random acts of violence against non-combatants in order to achieve a political ends. Part of that political ends is to, just as the non-violent Islamists want to carve out Muslims out of society, the violent Islamists seek to create pressure points against Muslims by balkanizing them, by creating an era of conflict and fear so that Muslims have nowhere else to turn but to their own faith and their own community, no matter how evil their interpretation is, if they're bordering, if they're bordering on becoming jihadists, successful acts of jihad radicalize and make them say, oh, this is the game in town, the militant jihad. I was thinking about hating the West, but now I am actually going to act on it. I'm going to become part of the Islamist movements. That's the way radicalization works and why even as they're suffering now in Iraq and on the verge of complete defeat, they're spreading and trying to win the global war as they do so and spread in their networks because the more acts are committed, the more they appear to be putting the West, the powers, the, the global Zionist conspiracies are put on their heels and the jihad brand is winning. So that spark, the nonviolent Islamists push out a message of victimization, of grievance, the grievance groups say that we are victims of bigotry against Muslims, of Islamophobia, of hate crimes, on and on. They use it to raise money, to have fundraisers in which Muslims get together to protect themselves from the attacks from the non-Muslims. The verbiage, the blasphemy against Islam. No, it's not bigotry against Muslims. It's Islamophobia that you have to fear. And yes, these are the attacks that I've seen from the pulpit, even in my own mosque years ago, even Muslims can be Islamophobic, as they said, basically from the pulpit, talking about my work against Islamism, my work of tough love for our community, for my faith, being looked upon as bigotry. But no, theirs is the bigotry of low expectation. Theirs is the bigotry of a collective that is not based on diversity of ideas, but a diversity of ethnicity and a collectivization of all of us under one and a dream of collectivizing Muslim-majority countries under a black flag of Islam. So ISIS, what do they want? They want to collectivize slowly, like the frog boiling slowly as the temperature goes up in that pot until it realizes it is on fire and its skin is burning off. It felt warm initially, and then it starts to boil. Well, Islamists slowly turn up the temperature of grievance-mongering, and they slowly radicalize our own by telling them that this West is against them. Conspiracy theories, misogyny, other ideas of West being hedonistic and un-Islamic separates them out to go to only Islamic schools learn only from Islamic families, go to only Islamic sporting events and separating them out of society. What does ISIS do by committing acts of terror? What do they help to hope to achieve? Attacking London Bridge, attacking Westminster. They hope to re get an equal and opposite response from racial supremacists, from true bigots who hate Muslims, so that that equal response will then be evidence, physical, militant evidence that Muslims are being victimized. And it makes it even that much harder to advocate for freedom, for liberty. The values that are the only antidote to radical Islam are those values 
in which we celebrate the ability for religious freedom to practice our faith here and articulate that in a way in which it is founded primarily in the defense of our nation state, our British, our American, our Canadian, our French nation state, that as long as we are loyal first to that nation state, then from that will come a protection of our individual rights, a protection of our ability to be Muslim. And that's why in America especially, where religious freedom is considered that first freedom, is the place in which we need to operationalize a global strategy against political Islam. But ISIS wants to destroy that. It separates the Islamist underbelly of nonviolent organizations, regular old Islamist groups, Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups, begin the separation of the mindset of the consciousness of Muslims out of society. And then it is brought to a militant tip of that iceberg by ISIS. Most of the underbelly reject that violence. You see constant battles between the Muslim Brotherhood nonviolent arms and violent arms, Hezbollah nonviolent and violent arms. But the bottom line is, is it is all terrorist organizations because they do not, because they basically have the same goal and they do not differentiate the identity of their state. They do not recognize the freedom and equality of other minorities of non-Muslims especially. And as a result, ISIS, when it does those attacks in Brussels, in Nice, in London, San Bernardino, it is lighting the spark to see where it will pick up jihadists that will join the jihad. Lighting the spark then, once they join the jihad, that will create equal and opposite responses from militant racial supremacists that will then put Muslims on the continuous eternal defense. Because at the end of the day, that's one of the reasons. I do this work for two reasons. Not to protect my faith. My faith is between me and God. I, I do not believe in clergy intermediaries or anything else. The Islam I learned is a very personal faith. I don't care what other Muslims may believe or not, but I do care in the militarization of Islam, in the jihadization, the Islamization of it for an Islamist movement because it threatens the country that I love and the movements of freedom that I believe are the most innate nature of being human, protecting individual rights so that each person can be individually free to reject or accept any idea they want. That is freedom. That's the interpretation of Islam that I believe in. So my legacy, I believe, our legacy should be, one, to protect our country, but second, if we do not do this, visceral human nature will eventually respond in a way that will begin to target Muslims, that will begin, will begin to collectivize the enemy. In every conflict we've had, that has been a sadly ignorant, visceral response of society in many different levels. We saw it in World War II, in the internment camps. We saw it in many times in history. We cannot allow that to be who we are. And this is one of the reasons that if Muslims do not get to our moral obligations are to treat this cancer of political Islam from within, there may be opposite reactions that will be heinous that we could have prevented by leading instead of being victims. Leading instead of sitting on our hands. Leading. Being Americans. instead of being victims. This is Zudi Jasser. I'll be right back. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. 
Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-8192. That's 800-600-8192. 800-600-8192. the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another segment of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's always great to be with you. Thank you for being here. A lot to talk about uh, this week. And, you know, one of the weird things that happened was, you know, the probably the most influential locus of power in the Muslim establishment is the royal family of Saudi Arabia. And President Trump, as much as he's trying to recalibrate some of the stability, they call it that, regional stability in the Middle East, went to Saudi Arabia and started to awaken them to their need to counter terrorism. We see that the world pays a lot of attention to what happens in Saudi Arabia. Well, just a few days ago, King Salman, the octogenarian that he is, named a new crown prince. And the crown prince that had been before was Prince Mohammed bin Nayef. He was the first in line for the throne. MBS, or Mohammed bin Salman, had named him as that. And MBS has uh, been the defense minister and overseed a large uh, economic portfolio. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the king says, you know what, my 31-year-old MBS, my son, not my nephew Benayef, but my son is going to be the king, and he's going to be the crown prince. And sure enough, within 12 hours, 31 out of 34 of the royal leadership in the royal house of Saud kissed the hand of the new crown prince and welcomed him. The other three were beheaded or lost their heads. No, that's not true. They weren't beheaded, but we don't know what their opinions were other than that they did not want to agree with the change in leadership. There's never any elections in Saudi Arabia. There's never any transfer of power away from the family. It is one of the most heinous autocratic kleptocracies on the planet that also claims to be the custodians of the Holy Mosque. So therefore, these guys wake up. You know, it's interesting seeing some of the machinations of intellectual prowess at foreignpolicy.com and at Brookings Institute and other institutions wring their hands and say, oh, is this a sign of perhaps modernization? Is it a sign of reform? The 31-year-old millennial, millennial, hardly, the 31-year-old king, crown prince, future king now, is that a sign of change? First of all, look at what he's done so far. The little MBS the little MBS, is felt to be responsible for Saudi Arabia's position in Yemen, that ultimately it was his messaging, his ideas of fueling the conflict there that has fomented much of the way in which the wage, they've waged the war against the Houthis and others in the Shia community of Yemen. And I think time will tell, but, you know, my little message to you is try not to read the tea leaves. The Saudi royal family has bizarre quirks. They've beheaded their own who committed crimes in London, probably right to punish him because they were found to be committing crimes against 
women and, and others in, in the West, much like they do in their own countries, but when they do it in the West, they make it a point to punish them and make examples out of them versus when they do it in Saudi Arabia where they applaud them and arrest and victimize the women who were their victims. So try not to make any sense out of what's happening. Uh, I would beg you to simply look at actions. Words and appointments mean nothing. The day MBS, little MBS Jr., by the way, of the 12 sons that Solomon has from his eight wives or however many wives this misogynistic patriarch has, I'd like to wait until they finally change the kingdom into a non-Islamic state and remove Sharia, remove the judges who are beheading, who are putting people in prison for simple tweets or likes on their Facebook page of Christian Facebooks. As Rafe Bedoui found himself a victim of, now in jail since 2010 for blasphemy, for apostasy. The kingdom is not a place that can be predicted. At the end, it's only about the royal family. There's inner wranglings happening. It might be as interesting as following a soap opera like Dynasty. But it has nothing to do with the future of Islam as long as they are in power. No reform in Saudi Arabia or hazard to say globally is going to happen as long as the current power system with the petrol Islam billions of the House of Saud exists is going to happen. It just will not happen. They are solidified into maintaining the establishment. Salafism, Wahhabism, is about looking back. It's not about looking forward into reform. There isn't one iota of evidence that they're questioning any of Wahhabi core doctrine, of Ibn Taymiyyah doctrine. There isn't one evidence that they're questioning any of that. Until proven otherwise, they are the epitome of genocidal evil tyrants. They may put ties on or wear their gulf dress with their headdresses and appear to be of the rule of law, but their law is a rule of tyrannical theocrats. Their family has suffocated the property rights and the freedom and the individual human rights of every Saudi citizen, especially the women and especially the minorities like the Shia the apostates and others. I have little faith in what Saudi Arabia does or the royal family. I wait for real actions. I want to end this segment with a couple good stories. You know, as that militant ran away, drove his van through killing Muslims coming out of Tarawiya in London, he ran down the, drove down the street, got out, started to use his hatchet to mimic what the Islamist militants at ISIS had done. And then he was tackled and brought to the ground, and a mob came from the mosque to figure out what had done. Some had said, oh, was he drunk? Was he confused? Was he ill? What was happening? And then they quickly realized this was a terror attack. And some wanted to beat the bloody daylights out of him. The imam at another mosque down the street protected this this militant, this crazy guy, and said, listen, this is wrong. We will not do to him what he was trying to do to us. And this is an imam that worked out of a welfare center, protected him. The society was caring for him. Now, Militants like Anjum Chowdhury were also on the welfare payroll in Britain, and they sought to destroy the country and took the side of ISIS. And thankfully, thankfully, Anjum Chowdhury is serving time for supporting ISIS in Britain. But I think if you look, the, the message from this imam is that we not only do they believe in Britain's law, but they believe in protecting it from actually happening. Do you think anything bad would have happened to the 
Muslims, if they had decided to beat him as they kept him to the ground, would have been self-defense. He was carrying a machete. But that's not human rights. That's not the rule of law. That's not a moral Islam. Also, in the Grenfell fire weeks a couple weeks ago, tens and scores died. But this fire happened at 3, 4 in the morning. And there were Muslims across the city waking up to eat their suhoor, their early breakfast, in preparation for their fast. And many, many anecdotes came out to say that that fire, that hundreds if not thousands were notified because the alarm system didn't work in that building, sprinkler systems didn't work, that ultimately they were notified by people rushing in to let them know that the building was on fire. 911 was called by some Muslim families and others that happened to be awake because of Ramadan. So I think those stories are important to juxtapose with the other story as people think, well, yes, was this revenge? Was the Muslim community doing enough? The answer might be no to that. But the answer also is that the Muslims are le- Muslims are the head of the spear in the battle against radical Islam. And that ultimately, if we are going to win this war, we need to engage them and light the fire under their feet to finally take ownership or else we are in trouble. The world is in trouble because we can do things here that you just can't do in Iraq or Syria. God bless the patriots amongst us. God bless the brave amongst us that are willing to take on these ideas. And don't forget the role they have in keeping us safe. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the Chris Salcedo Show. Every single Democrat, every single person, quote unquote, associated with any sort of credible knowledge to what's been going on, whether it be in the Senate or the House. Now, of course, they, they're not privy to the FBI's investigation, but nobody can sit there and say, here's the smoking gun. Oh, there's a lot of smoke there, and I would lay you dollars to donuts that the smoke is mostly generated by partisans. The Chris Salcedo Show, weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. The Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to our last segment this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Well, we not only saw the attack in London, but then we continue to have this summer of terror with an attack in Brussels and now an attack at the Flint, Michigan airport in which a police officer was stabbed as a Muslim said, Allahu Akbar, obviously and likely an ISIS attack, slashed him in the neck, left him struggling for his life. And then he was downed. The officer appears to be doing better, thank God. But the bottom line is we had another attack on an airport and no name was released at the time that I know of at this point, but the bottom line is is that the media still, by the way, when they reported it said, oh, he was shouting something in Arabic. Hmm. Where's the hummus? No. Not at all. He's saying Allahu Akbar. So the media needs to stop. They knew exactly what he was saying. Likely an ISIS operative. Clearly an attack that was just another one in this month of jihad. And we are beginning to see these attacks almost every day, as Patrick Poole said at PJ Media Homeland Security section. And Bill Gertz has a very concerning piece that he wrote that I would ask you guys to take a look at because 
he talks about how at the Free Beacon, he talks about how ISIS is setting up support networks to move terrorists to Europe and Asia. And listen, if we're going to reform the ideas that are creating these militants, we have to be a couple steps ahead of them. And we might be winning the battles in Iraq and Syria now, finally, with a Secretary of Defense and a president that has allowed our Secretary of Defense and our military the freedom to complete the mission that they want to do. But we're losing the war. Because as long as you look at this conflict as simply a military conflict, we're done. We are done. You can't win that. 1.6 billion Muslims in the world. The jihadist constituency could be every one of those Muslims. Still a minority, I believe, but a large minority that believe in sort of an Islamic state mentality. Bill Gertz said that he quoted defense officials that ISIS has several facilitators in places that assist the flow of fighters to Europe. The group is exploiting travel networks used for large-scale human trafficking in the region. The networks include an organizational structure that has been discovered by the U.S. and allied intelligence agencies to be using specific groups to help terrorists reach European soil. ISIS has assigned support personnel to the networks to facilitate the process. So it's amazing. They realize that right now the Achilles heel as the, as the courts in America try to prevent us from, and our president, from pausing immigration, from pausing refugee transfer, that they will continue to use the current networks that exist. And clearly, you know, this is not about demonization, demonizing refugees. If anything, this report is telling you that the ISIS folks are hijacking the refugee population, that they're weaving their way into it as a separate entity. Yes, there's some sympathies for ISIS within the refugee population, but clearly the majority were escaping a genocidal situation in Syria where competing tyrannical battles between the Assad regime and ISIS we're leaving them nowhere to go but to be displaced into Europe. And certainly none of the Arab countries other than Jordan and others. Uh, obviously, obviously not Saudi Arabia or Gulf states were taking them. Bill further emphasizes our foreign fighter databases are good and information sharing is constantly improving, but this scenario is plausible. The scenario that the refugees from the Middle East could be exploited by ISIS to target the United States. He later said, let's not forget that we have plenty of U.S. citizens that went to so-called caliphate, and the caliphate has over 100 nationalities on its bench. So this transfer back and forth, are we finally waking up? Every one of these guys turns out to be a known wolf, and the reason they're known is because we know they traveled into the caliphate region. We know they traveled to want to serve in the jihad. We know they traveled to participate in their Islamic identity, their Islamist identity. So if this scares you, it should. And if you're Muslim, it should tell you that time is running short for us to begin to harness our faculties of organizing communities for reform. Grab the Muslim Reform Movement Declaration. Teach your neighbors to use it as a tool to begin to hold Muslims accountable to the values of security, of free speech, and religious freedom. Security and peace, free speech, protection of minorities, and religious freedom. Those are the principles that, if you look Muslims that are in these networks, do they recognize equality of men and women? Do they recognize the need to end any concept of an Islamic state, whether Muslims are a majority or minority? This is the way to vet. This is the way to vet against radical Islamism.
and things are heating up even on the war front in Syria. We found now two episodes of jets that were brought down by Allied forces, by the U.S. And hats off to the Combined Joint Task Force Operation Inherent Resolve. They put out a press release that says, this is from June 18, the coalition defends partner forces from Syrian fighter jet attack. At 4 p.m. on June 18, pro-Syrian regime forces attacked the Syrian Democratic Forces held town of Jadin, south of Tabqa, wounding of the number of SDF fighters and driving the SDF from the town. Coalition aircraft conducted a show of force and stopped the initial pro-regime advance toward the SDF-controlled town. Following the attack on the pro-Syrian forces, I'm sorry, following the pro-Syrian forces attack, the coalition contacted its Russian counterparts by telephone via an established deconfliction line to de-escalate this situation and stop the firing. And then two hours later, a Syrian regime SU-22 dropped bombs near the Syrian Democratic Forces fighters south of Tabqa. And thus, in accordance with the rules of engagement, it was immediately shot down by a U.S. F-18 Super Hornet. Amen. Would that have ever happened under the Obama administration? I don't think so. And yet, listen, I'm not a fan of the relationship President Trump as a, before he was president, had with Russia. But so who has a close relationship with Russia? The president who told Russia I'd whisper into, whispers into his ears, oh, I can do that after the election. I'll have more freedom, he said in 2012 as he sat debating Romney. telling Romney in a jocular way that the Cold War called and the 80s called and they want their Cold War back or whatever nonsense Obama said. Now, we have a far more possibly openly pro or, or favorable relationship with Putin that President Trump has, and yet we're seeing things happen in Syria that most of us would have only dreamed of would have happened. We see things happening in Saudi Arabia that are in no way in Russia's interest. We see things happening against Iran that are in no way in Russia's interest. So again, continue to follow actions rather than looking at the old, yes, very lucrative business deals that Trump, that Tillerson and others had with Russia that are understandably concerning. But I think it's important to show that our military is not being held back in protecting the forces of good that we work with. So as we end this week's episode, I again wish my Muslim friends a blessed Eid al-Futr with your families. Join me in reforming this. Join me at our website, takebackislam.com, takebackislam.com. Join me on my Twitter feed at Dr. D-R Zudi, Z-U-H-D-I, Jasser, J-A-S-S-E-R, in the conversation that we have every week about what we should do on the front lines. We're winning the battles here and there, but we are losing the war to protect liberty, to advance freedom. Eid Mubarak, a blessed holiday to my Muslim friends and to all of you. Join me next week on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. God bless. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network.